today's sermon, it's in that, it's Romans chapter 12, and Romans chapter 12 is aimed at y'all, the church. And so there's going to be things I'm going to say in the sermon this morning that are, uh, they, they might rub you the wrong way. But the old adage is, if, if, the, if, you, if the cat is getting his hair turned the wrong way, rubbed the wrong way, what do you do? Turn the cat around and smooth it out. And so, if y'all will do right, I don't have to preach these kind of sermons. <laughs> y'all are not laughing. So let's have a courtesy laugh. Ready? On the count, on the count of three. Ha ha. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> okay. This, this might be a short sermon. <laughs> Romans 12. Now let's take a reading here from verses 3 to 8. Paul writes that by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober, that's right-minded judgment. Serious judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. And we trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about steps to serving God. Steps to serving God. I'm going to give you four steps after I give you this long introduction. But in this section, verses 3 to 8, the Apostle, I mean, the, the ESV Bible has, this, has a heading here, a paragraph heading, the gifts of grace. And what the Apostle is going to do is going to tell us that we should be serving God and how we should be serving God and that we should serve God with a certain attitude, with a certain, with a certain ambition, with a certain desire here. Now, this section is similar to 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks to the church at Corinth about the gifts of the Spirit and how they should be used for the building up or the strengthening of the body of Christ. Now, this part here I want you to pay special, special attention to because I think it's, a, it's an interpretive, it's an interpretive uh, help, right? So, when we talk about the church, there are two ways to think of the church. One is to think about the body of Christ a.k.a. the universal church. Now, the universal church is the body of Christ. And we could say it like this, it's the true church. Because the universal church is the spiritual church, and sometimes they call it the mystical church. But the universal church is composed of everybody who's been saved from the Garden of Eden forward. And everybody who will be saved in the future. This is the the universal church, the body of Christ, right? And then you have the local churches or the visible churches. So the universal church is invisible, but it's not 100% invisible. 
because God can see it. And then if we were all in heaven right now, we'd be able to see the rest of the invisible church made visible. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people are really there in heaven. But then you have the visible church, the local church. Now, we don't have a lot of trouble with the universal church because all those people are saved and, you know, we don't have trouble with those people. Where we always have trouble with is in the local church. The local church is like a marriage. It can be heaven or the opposite. (laughs) 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 Marriage can be wonderful and marriage can be difficult. I've been married to Valerie for 25 years and I don't know what it's like to not have wonderful Lightning. <laughs> We've been married for long enough that we, that we know what it's about. It's not always champagne and roses. Sometimes it's macaroni and tuna mixed together. Was it tuna casserole? You guys ever had macaroni? Craft macaroni with a can of tuna poured in it and peas. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> but you know, when you're married, you start. Me and Valerie got married. We were 19 years old. We didn't know sick them from come here about nothing, and so we just kind of grew up together. And we had good times and we've had bad times, right? So, within that relationship with Valerie, we have these glorious times and these less glorious times. And that's because of the two people who are different. I'm a dude. She's a dudette. We're different. I got man ways. She's got woman ways. She's refined and classy, and I ain't. (laughs) And these differences on all these levels have caused us some friction through the years. And I think everybody here who's been married any length of time knows that that these things are all true. This is kind of normal. In the local church, it's the same way. We have all these different kinds of people here. We have people here who have graduate degrees, people who don't have any degrees at all. We have people who work with their hands, people who work with their minds, and people who don't work at all. (laughs) (laughs) we have all kinds of different kinds of people here as i look around i'm scanning around to see who's here you know i got i can see military people i can see professional people white collar blue collar there's all kinds of people here then you have men and women here and it's just a it's different we're all different we have different backgrounds how many of you uh grew up in what you call a city city life city life anybody like that city slicker all right? You are, and then people who are country people. This morning, uh, Lacey has a couple of friends here with her this morning. This morning, I said, I said, good morning, girls. And they laughed at me, and one of them said, that kind of sounds very, very hick, very redneck, very southern. And I said, well, my neck is red. <laughs> so you have all these different, these different ways we are jammed together in a local church, in this body that's here, and we can rub each other the wrong way. And so it's in the local church 
where we experience both divine joys and divine difficulties. So, while there is a lot of talk about the universal church most of the time, the church that really affects you the most is the local visible church. The church where you go every Sunday. It's easy to love the TV preacher, amen? Because when he gets to... When he, when, because the commercials are coming. <laughs> you, you can watch him with a bowl of ice cream in your lap if you want. I mean... It's easy, but you got to, we have to go see the preacher, you know, and put up with him. It's different. Same way in the church. The local church is composed of sinners who've been saved. Now, we have to know how to identify the local church, okay? Now, the local church is a particular fellowship of like-minded believers who've associated themselves together to serve God together. And to this local church, there are given gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through about 15, describes some of the gifts given to the the church. And one of those is apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers, or pastors and teachers, if you read in the authorized version. And these are given to the church to establish the church, to teach the church, so that the church, the local church, is not carried about by every wind of doctrine. It's to lead and guide the church, to teach the church what God's Word says, so the church can grow up and become mature and strengthened and stable. Now, this job in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15, and thereabouts, it says that this process is ongoing until Jesus comes. So, I want to say this to you. This church needs to, this church will be being worked on through preaching, until Jesus comes. Because nobody here is perfect yet. And I got a pretty good feeling that not many of us are going to become really perfect. Because I know how we tend to, we tend to slide off the, the trail, the, the, the rail sometimes. And I hate to illustrate it this way, but I, I think it's a good way. Has anybody here ever been on a diet? I remember back in the day when the Atkins diet was real popular, you know, and that sounded like the diet for me, you know, just eat all meat and that kind of stuff. There's all these diets. You get on a diet, you get on an exercise plan, or, and, you, and you go, you do real good. And then what happens? Thanksgiving, Christmas, <laughs> birthdays, you know, and you slide off, the, and you, you backslide on your diet, and then you have to correct and, and get back, you see? So the the church, the local church, has these gifts given to it. There's a category of gifts. These are, I call them the throne gifts of heaven because it says that when Christ ascended back to heaven, he gave gifts to the church and he gives these these things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers for the benefit of the church. Now, Paul here in this letter is talking to a church and he tells the church, In verses 1 to 2, you guys need to devote your whole self to God. You need to live for God. If you're a Christian, then you should devote your entire self to God. And in doing so, it's going to throw you out of step with the world in which you live. You're going to look like a wacko to the world in which you live. 
the more devoted to Christ you are, the more weird you're going to look to people who are not devoted to Christ. And so we have to resist the pressure to conform to the world. Now, these pressures are immense. The Apostle Paul, he, he covers all these things in his letters. He even talks... And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that, that lane. So here in this section, Paul talks about the gifts that God gives, all right? So here are the steps. And he wants us to serve, to serve the Lord with our life. Now, here are the gifts that God gives us to serve. You may think of this as the tools God gives to serve you. Uh, I think in the, in the summer of 2021, I, I worked for FedEx for about six months. And when I went down there to FedEx, they gave me the tools I needed to succeed. They sent me to driving school, which was a lot of fun. When you, you know FedEx drivers? You ever do a serpentine? You know you got to go through the cones? At FedEx, they make you, you drive through it front ways, and then you back through it. That's what I thought. <laughs> How many strikes do I get? <laughs> and the, and, but they, they gave me all the, everything I needed. They gave me a uniform. They gave me everything but shoes, basically. They gave me a belt. They gave me shirts. They gave me shorts or pants. They gave me a coat, hat. I mean, everything I needed to succeed. But I had to use those things. And God has given us, through the Holy Spirit, given us these gifts to serve Him with. So let's look at verse number three. The first step to serving God is to have the right view of yourself. Listen to the reading. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The the first step to serving God is having the right view of yourself. And Paul says, you need to think Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't have too inflated of an opinion of yourself. He says you need humility, which is the opposite of pride. And within a local church, you you, you have some people who sometimes feel like they are ultra important, that they they are more important than others. And they have the unique ability to make others feel unimportant. And these feelings are often based on the things that they do, on their skill sets, on the gifts they bring to the table, you might say. Now, in a very real sense, in a local church, there are some people who have vital, essential roles. There are some vital roles. Now, I can talk about it in this way, I think, because churches all across America, at some time or another, are going to need to call somebody to come be their pastor, right? It's just a fact of life. You know, pastors come and pastors go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They have to get a new one sometimes. And churches, when they don't have a pastor, well, they, sometimes it can be a, a hard time. When I resigned from my first church in Texas, I read my resignation to the church, and my deacon, whose name was Randy, uh, what's Randy's last name, Valerie? Randy Sanders. As soon as I read my resignation, because I was going to pastor a church in Arkansas, he stood up right behind me and said, I make a motion we accept the pastor's resignation. All in favor? Congregation said, aye. And then he said, I also move that we receive no new members until we call a pastor. 
All in favor say aye. And I thought, what? I've never heard of that in my life. So after the service, I said, Randy, what in the world is that? He said, well, preacher, in the past here, when we haven't had a pastor, we haven't done too good a job about admitting members, and we let people join the church who shouldn't have joined the church. He says, we need a pastor to kind of shepherd us and watch over us through the membership process. And I thought, whew. Interesting. But his, his decision to do that was based on trouble in the past. Because he's right, in the absence of a pastor, sometimes churches, they can do things they shouldn't do. They need leadership. They need someone in that position. It doesn't mean you can't be a church without a pastor. It's just kind of a vital role. Most churches like to have a pastor, right? Please say yes. <laughs> I beg of you. <laughs> so while some positions in the church appear to be more vital than others, those vital roles in the church are still dependent on the other roles, on the other positions in the church. So you can't be a pastor of nobody, right? You have to have a congregation to watch over. And so, you need me, amen, and I need you, amen. We are dependent on each other, but in this relationship we have, we have to keep the right mindset. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, because pride is a horrible sin. It is the sin of Satan himself, because Satan said, In Isaiah 12 and Ezekiel 14, Satan said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend. Satan's sin was pride. So you, and and, and that's one of mankind's besetting sin. Now, sometimes we think we are right. And we work really hard at being right, but sometimes our motives can be bad. Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs 16. Listen, listen to a few verses here from Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, <clears throat> but the Lord weighs the spirits. We tend to always think we are right. We tend to think we have the right idea about things. But the Lord knows sometimes the spirit behind our decisions is not right. But the Lord knows. We tend to think we're always right. Now, there's been lots of times when I felt like I was right. You know, when you're married, this kind of is a, is, a, is a nice thing. I thought I'd been right about something, only to have one of my teenage kids point out that I wasn't. Now, I hate to admit this. Lacey, close your ears. Look how obedient she is. She went right to it. But she's faking me out. I know she is. Sometimes teenagers are right. <laughs> sometimes little kids are right. Sometimes you say something, you think you're right, but then under under more careful examination, realize that's not the right thing to do. But we tend to think we're right. And it's the arrogant person who won't admit when they're wrong. Everything we want to do, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Of course my motives are pure. Of course, I'm not trying to build my own kingdom or exalt myself here. The Lord weighs the spirits. The Lord knows what our motives are. Our motives can be bad. 
Now look at verse 25 of chapter 16 there. What seems to be right is not always right. Proverbs 16, 25, listen to the reading. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. We have to be humble enough to remember that just because I have the idea, just because it seems right to me, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We have to submit our decisions to what God wants us to do and be humble enough to take those corrections. Don't think too much of yourself. Look at the verses 18 and 19 of Proverbs 16. These are my dad. He reamed these into me when I was a kid. And I did the same to my kids. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you get all puffed up, you're headed for a fall. You're headed for a slip. You're going to eat it somewhere. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Humility is the right path. And we have to, we have to guard ourselves against thinking too highly of ourselves. Pride will destroy a church. The church at Corinth was a church that was puffed up. And because they were so puffy, so arrogant about who they were, and listen, they were, they were arrogant because they were gifted. The, the, the biggest treaties of the Apostle Paul about abuse of the spiritual gifts was given to the church at Corinth because they had lots of gifts. A highly gifted and talented church is going to be prone to arrogance. This is human nature. This is the way it is. And because they they got lifted up in their pride, well, they tolerated things they shouldn't have tolerated. They tolerated all kinds of sins in their fellowship. They tolerated lovelessness. They tolerated disunity. They tolerated disorderly worship. And they tolerated deadly, dastardly sins. Because the Apostle Paul is taken aback when he writes to them. It is commonly reported, he writes to them, that there is fornication among you, and not just the kind of fornication that's normal, that the Gentiles do, but you guys have incest taking place in your church. Because I've heard that there is a man in the church who's having sex with his father's wife. John Gill says he thinks that the guy who was doing that was actually the pastor of the church. And that they were overlooking him, and they were tolerating his sinfulness because he was such a great preacher, such a great speaker. And someone will say, well, that's just, that could never happen. Happens all the time now. it's, It's not uncommon. But when a church becomes puffy, becomes proud... Its focus is wrong. And if we can take these letters of the New Testament as examples to us, which I think we can and should, we should be warned. Now, in the book of Revelation, there was a church, the church at Laodicea. And here's what they said about themselves. They said, we are rich. We are prosperous. We don't need anything. But Jesus writes to them and says, you do need something. 
You got a lot of dough. You got a lot of great people. But you're missing something important. He says, you don't have me. Because Jesus said, lo, I stand at the door. Picture that in your mind. Local congregation, local fellowship of people. Christians. He's not saying they're not Christians. And they're Christians. And Jesus says, I'm at the door of the church knocking on it. Saying, you guys got everything but me. Because they'd gotten too proud. They'd gotten too puffy. So the first step to serving God is you have to have the right view of yourself. You have to have a humble view of yourself. Listen to the reading. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now this doesn't mean you can't think highly of yourself. That you can't appreciate your skills and abilities. It says you have to be careful not to think too much of yourself. So that's the first step. The second one is also in verse 3. The second step to serve to serving God is knowing that our assignments in the church, our assignments, our jobs or our roles, our gifts within the body are given to us by God. You need to think carefully about that. God has given you a gift. God has given you a spiritual work to do. He has given it to you. He sovereignly decided this is the gift that you should have. Right? So that means that the giftings you have through the Spirit are the gifts that God wanted you to have, which means you need to be content with that. Now, my whole life, you know, when you get into preaching business, it's kind of a dumb, it's kind of a dumb job to do because... Uh, because you, you want to be a success, right? How many of you want to, get, want to be a failure at your job? <laughs> Everybody wants to succeed in their work. Now, I've been around a long time. I'm 44 years old. I'm an old codger, which makes Jeff prehistoric. <laughs> and, you know, and you get to watching people, and here's what I've seen is if you're going to pastor a big old juicy church with hundreds of people, it's probably going to happen by the time you're 30. In every other field of business, Dale Carnegie said, the greatest men in history didn't do anything great until they were 50. So in six years, (laughs) brace yourself. (laughs) But it just seems to be like in the preaching business, if, if you're going to hit it big, it's going to happen by the time you're about 30. And if it didn't happen by the time you're about 30, well, it ain't going to happen. You've got to be content with something less. And that can be kind of frustrating. It can be kind of frustrating because you, 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 think, you start thinking about things in the wrong way. And so you think, well, if I could just become more like so-and-so. So you go to, maybe you go to California, to the Shepherds, whatever they call it out there, the shepherd's uh, wingding, John, John MacArthur's church. Oh, I just get, her, get over here. I can learn me some good stuff and go back. I can be like John MacArthur. Or you go down to maybe pastor school, the First Baptist in Hammond, Indiana. Well, I can, man, if I go down there, I can learn how to be a big-time preacher down there. Maybe, it'll, maybe I just need to learn these certain tricks, these certain skills, and that will really make my church... 
Well, you can go to all those seminars. You can try to put into effect all those things. But ultimately, the answer is in Ian Murray's biography of John MacArthur. And here's what Ian Murray says. And he's quoting John MacArthur. John MacArthur says, There is no way in the world to explain the size of Grace Community Church. Three to four thousand people every Sunday. There's no way, there's no way to explain it. He said, I he said, I preach too dull, I preach too long, we're too formal, we're in California. <laughs> he says, everything's against. There's no way to explain it. Which is exactly what my dad used to try to tell me, too. It's all God, it's all up to God. And so some of the greatest preachers you read about in history who wrote tons of books that influence us today pastor pretty small churches. Pretty small churches. One guy who's kind of dominated all of, uh, of Christianity in, 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 in a lot of different forms was a guy named Arthur W. Pink. Arthur Pink, he never pastored a church more than about 50 people his whole life. In the last 25 years of his life, and during his writing ministry, he didn't go to church at all. Because all the churches that he knew of were, were nuts. So he went back to Scotland. He went from, he, he was, anyway, I will talk about that. Pink, Pink had a crazy life. If you'll come back tonight at 6 o'clock, I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> so, you have to be satisfied with the gifting God has given to you. God doesn't give to everybody the same gift. Like, I can't sing. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's a spiritual gift, but you know, I've always wanted to be a singing preacher, you know? And, I, and I'm not a great administrator. Details, that's not me. I'm a big picture person, not a detail person. You know, we're all, we're all different, right? Now, I know God's called me to preach, and I like preaching. And I, <laughs> I arrogantly say that I do a decent job <laughs> of it. But, you know, I wish, you wish, I wish I could do all those things. Wait to be satisfied with what God's given you to do. God's given some of you gifts. And, you, and instead of looking what other people have and wishing you had their gift, just be satisfied with the gift that God has given to you. That God's given to you. But you need to use that gift. Right? Now, I, John Calvin, in his commentary on this section, he, I, think, I think he's right here. Because he says the main, the, Paul's main reason for giving this section of Scripture is to tell the Corinthians, not the Corinthians, but tell the Romans, basically, stay in your lane. Because listen to the reading, what he says here. In the body, we have all these different members. We don't have all the same function. We're one body in Christ, individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. Let us use them. Now, the NIV doesn't say let us use them. The King James doesn't either. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use these gifts. Here's what he says. If prophecy, then do it. In proportion to your faith. If it's service, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's exhortation, exhort. If it's giving or contributing, then do it in generosity. 
If it's leadership, do it with zeal, etc. So he says, if you have these gifts, use your gifts. Stay in your lane. Calvin interestingly says that it is when you try to operate in a gifting that's not yours, that you defile both gifts, the one you have and the one you wish you had. Stay in your lane. You ever, you ever said, said, you ever told somebody that? Hey, you need to stay in your lane. You ever drive down 75 and see somebody and they're, oh, oh. they just stay in their lane. Make everybody, make everybody a lot happier. They stay in their lane. Keep to the right, slowpoke. Serve in your gifting. Now, we're coming to the end, okay? Actually, probably not. <clears throat> now, there's a metaphor given here. It's, it's the local church. Now, this metaphor is a great metaphor because it's a body. It talks about the body. And bodies are composed of all these different members or parts. And each of these members, each part of the body has a unique function. All the parts are dependent on one another. Paul has this great reading in 1 Corinthians. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Now listen to this. Paul says it better better than I can say it. Verse 18. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member or the same thing, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. It's just saying everybody's interdependent. Pastors dependent on congregations, congregations on pastors, and then everybody dependent on one another. Now, if you're here this morning and you got a right hand, would you put it up? I'm not tricking you to vote for something, I promise. That's your right hand. Now, you can put them down. Now, so today, I'm sure you use that right hand to do a lot of great stuff for you. So for me, I buttoned this shirt this morning. Well, I use both hands when I button my shirt. I use both hands when I tied this tie, you know. When I tied my shoes, I use both my right hand, tie my shoes. When I put my little thing in the coffee pot to make my coffee, you know. This right hand has, and then I was in the bathroom this morning, I shaved. I rubbed my eye. Put on, this hand has served my whole body. Put on my socks. Just, it's, it's serving. Now, what, what made my hand do all that stuff? My brain. And my brain controlled all that stuff. Now, I can live without a hand. Wouldn't, wouldn't be as much fun, but I could live without a hand. 
But I need the brain. But if I don't have the hand to feed the mouth, then the brain's going to die because it's not going to have any, any nutrients to live off of. See how it's all, it's all interdependent on each other. And the local church is the same way. And so let me say this to you who may feel like you're not a big deal, like you don't matter. You matter to the whole body. And to those of us who have the more vital roles, let us be humble and realize we need everybody else too. We need one another. We're connected together. And these gifts that's been given to us are for service. Now, I'm going to stop the sermon right here because the rest of the things I want to say are mean. And I don't want you to leave here mad at me. Although, I do want to say this to you before we go. Um, if, you have a, if you're a Christian and you're part of a church, you need to be serving in that church in some way. Serving. Serving the body. Find something to do. Now, if you need something to do, we have all kinds of things to do around here. You're gifted to serve. Gifted to serve. James 4.17 says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to that person it is sin. So it is a sin to not serve the Lord in the local church. It's a sin because you're gifted to serve. Take a role. Take something to do. There's all kinds of things to do in a church. Tons of things to do. And uh, there's an old adage. This is a, a well-accepted saying that in any church, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. We always need more help with stuff. Always need more help with something. I asked uh, Bonnie Billings to paint the steeple. She said she wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, I asked somebody to paint the steeple recently. I, can't, I was joking. I, can't remember. I think was it, was, it was Bonnie. Was it you, Bonnie, that asked you to paint, paint the steeple? Do you remember? Bonnie's not going to talk to me. Yeah, we always have stuff, stuff to do. We always have stuff to do. We've got to ser- serve in the church. Now, that's all I want to say about that. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the, 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 gifts, the gifts and how they work in the church, I hope. And uh, that's a subject in the individual, the, the diversity of the gifts, the individual parts of it. I don't really, it's a difficult thing for me to understand. I've tried to understand it lots of times. But maybe next Sunday we can figure it out together. And uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to be together with my friends and loved ones, and I pray that you would help us to unite ourselves together as your body and serve you, Lord, and serve one another. I pray that you would help us in Christ's holy name. Amen.